Hey, here's a lecture on fluids and electrolytes. Okay, we're going to start with a um, little background on electrolytes and body fluids. Um, they all play a role in homeostasis of the body. Um, many diseases and treatments can affect that fluid electrolyte balance. Therefore, it is important to be able to anticipate any potentials for fluid and electrolyte imbalances. For instance, in the very elderly or the very young, they're less likely to be able to compensate for um, any possible imbalances. And therefore, we need to um, anticipate um, prior to um, it becoming a problem. We need to be able to recognize signs and symptoms of those imbalances, and we need to be able to um, intervene with appropriate action if, in fact, um, there is an imbalance that needs to be corrected. So 50 to 60% of the body weight is made up of water. Um, the more lean body mass a patient has, the more um, increased percentage of water. The more adipose tissue you have, the less percent of water. Therefore, in older adults, because they have less lean body mass, therefore they have a decreased percent of water and therefore an increased risk of fluid-related problems. There are two compartments in the body um, that make up this composition. You have your intracellular um, within the cell, and then you have the extracellular, which is that outside um, cell area. And then um, the majority of the body water is inside the cell, and about a third of the water is in that extracellular cell. However, we also have extra... Um, areas of fluid such as in the lymph and the transcellular fluids which make up like the zsf the gi fluids um, joint space pleural peritoneal intravascular and pericardial where fluid may build up um, in those areas okay for electrolytes um, they are measured in milliequivalents per liter um, there are uh, the extracellular has a composition, while the intracellular has a different composition. Your main cation um, in the extracellular is sodium, and intracellular would be um, potassium, and they have a, a balanced relationship from one to the other. The way that they move um, may be passive, which means no energy is being exerted, such as with simple diffusion, which goes from a movement of high concentration to low concentration. Um, it basically goes in and out in order to maintain a balance, but there's no um, exerted um, energy. Um, sometimes there's a facilitated diffusion, which means that there's a protein that's carrying in um, and moving things in and out of the cell. Also, a passive movement, which means no requirement of energy. And then there is active transport, where we're going against the concentration gradient, such as in the sodium-potassium pump, and that does require external energy. Um, we have different types of solutions. Your isotonic solution is the one that is most similar um, to a regular balance of fluids. You have your hypotonic, where the water is going to move into the cell, causing the cells to swell. And if there's too much hypotonic, then the cell will burst. And then there's hypertonic, where the water moves out of the cell and will cause the cell to shrink and possibly die.
okay? There are certain body conditions that cause um, fluids to shift between compartments, causing either edema or dehydration. Um, first spacing is a normal distribution of that intracellular, extracellular, the in and out that just keeps the balance. Second spacing is like an abnormal accumulation of interstitial fluids, such as in the case of edema. And then you have third spacing, where there's excess fluid in non-functional areas. So water is going to build up in that peritoneal cavity, around um, the pleura of the lungs, um, and it may occur um, due to some sort of trauma, burn, or because the patient has become septic. Okay, for water balance, water is balanced by different um, methods of regulation. You have your hypothalamus and pituitary regulation. There is a renal component, your adrenals, cardiac regulation, and GI regulation. Um, imbalances in that water and fluid balance when the deficit would be hypovolemia um, and uh, excess would be hyperbolemia. Okay, so imbalances with the deficit, so loss of fluids. Um, it comes through an abnormal loss of body fluids, such as with diarrhea, vomiting, hemorrhaging, or polyuria. It can also occur due to an inadequate fluid intake from the patient or a shift from the plasma to the interstitial fluid. In order for us to treat this imbalance, we're going to correct the underlying cause. For instance, if it's due to a blood loss, then we would have to give some blood product um, in order to replace that volume. Um, we may have to replace water and electrolytes if the patient is able to tolerate um, drinking by mouth, and we're going to offer oral rehydration such as Pedialyte, um, Gatorade, Powerade, etc. If there's moderate to severe um, need to replace, then we may have to go with IV solutions. Normal saline is the only one that you would give as a bolus um, whenever there's a need for a rapid volume replacement. Now with excess, where there's like an excess amount of fluids, sometimes it's due to abnormal fluid retention, as in the case of patients that have congestive heart failure or renal failure, um, where the body is abnormally retaining fluid rather than flushing it out. And there's a fluid shift from interstitial into plasma. Treatment um, would be to treat or correct the underlying cause and to remove the excess fluid without changing the electrolyte composition. Um, so we want to remove it without causing any further disturbance. We may have to give diuretics. We may have to put the patients on fluid restrictions. In the case of ascites or pleural fusion, if it's sufficient amount, um, there may need um, there may be a need to um, physically remove that excess fluid. For instance, in the case of ascites, it would be an abdominal, abdominal paracentesis, so we're taking out that excess fluid. Um, while with pleural effusion, um, we may have to uh, conduct a thoracentesis. Okay, for nursing diagnosis, obviously you have your fluid imbalances, impaired cardiac output, acute confusion, um, and with deficits, a hypovolemic shock. While with excess, um, you may have fluid imbalance, impaired gas exchange, impaired tissue integrity, activity intolerance, disturbed body image, 
and potential complication would be pulmonary edema um, or um, ascites. Now, as far as treatments with patients that have uh, a potential for having excess body fluid, um, you may see an order for daily weights. So daily weights tells us um, the body is retaining fluid. For instance, um, for every extra kilo of weight, which equals 2.2 pounds, that's the equivalent of 1,000 ml or one liter of fluid the patient is retaining. Um, to have accurate um daily weights we're going to be weighing the patient at the same time wearing the same clothes using the same scale now for intake and output for intake you have oral and IV fluids and we're going to include any tube feeds and any retained irrigation fluids so anything that has gone in that we have not flushed out we are going to take into account for input now for output you can estimate um, excess perspiration, wound drains, um, any drainage, um, any emesis, diarrhea, or urinary output. What we have when we're doing labs, whenever there is a deficit, we're going to see increased BUN. Um, Sodium is going to go up. Hematocrit is going to go up. Plasma and urine osmolality. While in excess, there's going to be a decreased BUN, um, sodium, hematocrit, plasma, and urine Okay. Um, for cardiac care, we're going to be checking vital signs. We're going to be doing cardiac assessments, looking at blood pressures, um, central venous pressure, pulse force, jugular vein distension. For both deficit and in excess, you're going to have an increase in heart rate. While in deficit, the reason for the increased heart rate is because the body is trying to move the little fluid it has. Um, in excess, it's going to be in order to pump against that excess fluid. So the body has to pump fa faster in order to try to get through. Um, for deficit, blood pressure may remain normal unless it becomes severe. And then you may see some hypotension. Pulses may be weak and thready. Um, and patients may start to suffer from um, orthostatic hypotension. So they would be at fall risk. Um, if they get up too fast, they may um, pass out. Now, with excess, you have the ex, um, pulses will be full, bounding. There may be some neck vein distension, and you may have um, increased CVP. Blood pressure will go up because it's having to pump against this excess fluid, and there may be a possible S3. Okay, continuing on um, with treatments, um, you may need um, chest x-rays in order to identify any pleural effusion that may have built up. Um, any, um, we're going to be checking oxygen saturations, listening to lung sounds. Um, as far as with deficits, there's going to be an increased respiratory rate in order to move um, and try to keep that perfusion going. Um, while in excess, we're going to have shortness of breath because of the inability to fully expand the lungs because there may be some pulmonary congestion, some pulmonary edema. Um, with lung sounds, you're going to hear um, some moist crackles going on. As far as skin care, um, we may notice a change in turgor mobility. So over the sternum, over the abdomen, over the interior forearm, we're going to check for tenting. 
where the skin is not, um, because of the dehydration, is not going to um, bounce back and recoil um, the way it normally would. In a mild deficit, the skin may still be warm. Um, however, there may be some dry and wrinkling. Um, however, in a severe deficit, the skin is going to be cool and moist. When we're looking at mucous membranes, patients may have um, furrows on their tongue. Um, it may be dry, they may be parched, um, and that would be with deficit. Now with edema, because there's so much excess fluid, the skin's going to be cool, stretched, taut. Um, there may be some pitting that can be noted. Plus one would be a mild pitting, um, while plus four would be a severe um, pitting over the tibia, fibula, and over the sacrum. We want to make sure that we're protecting the skin, that we're looking um, and evaluating for skin integrity issues, and we're providing skin care and changing positions every two hours in order to prevent skin breakdown. Now with fluid therapy, if there is a deficit, we need to be cautious with patients that have either a history of renal deficits or certain neuropatients, um, or if they're on a fluid restriction of some sort. Okay, with deficits, we're going to be offering oral fluids depending on the patient's status um, and their ability um, to swallow or if they have any um, deficits. Again, caution with patients that have dysphagia or have physical um, limitations that would impair their ability to properly swallow and increase their risk of um, aspiration. Um, if the patients are fully cognitive, um, we want to offer them um, fluids every one to two hours. Again, sometimes we may have to provide some assistance um, to the patient when drinking um, because they may have some mobility issues. Um, patients' safety, risk for falls, especially if there is a fluid volume deficit where they may have some orthostatic hypotension, we want to make sure that they're changing positions slowly in order to prevent any um, dizziness that may cause a fall. Same thing with weakness, changes in consciousness. Um, sometimes we may have to provide medications such as diuretics. They could be loop or osmotic in order to help move that fluid along. Okay, now going to specifically imbalances, we have your sodium imbalances. So you have um, your um, normal range is 135 to 145. Um, anything below 135 is hyponatremia. Anything over 145 is hypernatremia. So sodium in itself is essential in the maintenance of acid-based and fluid balances. We use it both in active and passive transport, um, and it um, is a component of the irritability and conduction of nerve and muscle tissues. Now with hypernatremia, so excess sodium, um, different causes could be due to uh, certain medical conditions such as Cushing's um, when a patient is hyperventilating, um, certain medications, IV solutions or hypertonic where they have excess sodium in, um, component. Um, GI causes um, if the patient is having um, excess sodium intake and not enough water um, intake to in order to counteract. Um, Sodium excretion is decreased, as is in the case of um, certain steroids that could be used. Um, if there's an increase in aldosterone, um, any loss of fluids, whether it's in water deprivation or heat stroke, so the body's unable um, to counteract that, so the sodium is going to increase. And if there is um, a reason that the patient has some th um, thirst impairment. 
Signs and symptoms, the skin's going to be flushed, the patient may be agitated, the patient may have a low-grade fever, they may be thirsty, um, their blood pressure is going to go up, and there's going to be some fluid retention that's occurring. Um, there may be some peripheral um, or pinning edema that is noted, and there may be a decreased urinary output, um, and patient may complain of a dry mouth. Okay, so if it's because there is a water deficit, then we're going to be replacing that either oral or IV, depending on if the patient's tolerating um, things by mouth. Now, if it's because of a sodium excess, then we need to counteract that with, for instance, um, IV fluids such as D5 water, which are going to help us um, decrease that sodium. Um, diuretics would also help with that. Um, if it's because the patient has an excess sodium intake in their diet, we're going to um, educate on foods that are low in salt. Um, we, Whenever we're decreasing the sodium, we want to do it um, slowly because of too fast of a decrease may cause cerebral edema and neurological complications. So when we're lowering that sodium, we won't go more than 8 to 15 milli equivalents per liter in 8 hours. Okay. Complications of hypernatremia include seizures and coma. Now, hyponatremia, okay, so now we have a loss of sodium, so it's anything less than 135. Um, there may be an excess water um, or increased sodium um, loss that's causing the concentration of sodium to decrease. Okay. It can happen with gastric suctioning, with diarrhea, with vomiting. Um, inadequate salt intake, um, any fluid shifts um, due to certain solutions, diuretics, okay? Now, signs and symptoms of hyponatremia um, may cause some seizures or stupors. Patients may complain of abdominal cramping. There may be some confusion, lethargy. The tendon reflexes are going to decrease decrease the patient may have along with that confusion some trouble concentrating there may be some loss of urine um patient may have some anorexia um there may be some orthostatic hypotension or overactive bowel sounds um there may be some shallow respirations which would be a late sign and there may be some spasms of the muscles now, if it's because of hypobulimic hyponatremia, we're going to be giving a hypertonic IV solution in order to replace that sodium, such as um, a 3% sodium that does have to be given uh, via central line because it is extremely um, irritant to the vein. And we're going to be monitoring closely, um, infusing um, slowly in order to avoid any rapid overcorrection. Um... This can cause, um, if not treated, osmotic demyelination syndrome where there is a permanent damage to brain cells. Now, if it's because there's excess fluid, hyperbolemic hyponatremia, that we're going to restrict fluids, we may have to give diuretics such as loop. Um, sometimes we may have to give basopressor receptor antagonists in order to counteract that. If it's because of SIADH in the brain, then we're going to be restricting fluids. Um, some patients that are on lithium, in addition to checking um, for their lithium levels, um, they do need to get checked for sodium imbalances. If it's because of a lack of sodium um, intake in their diet, we're going to um, 
educate them on foods that will increase that sodium intake. So anything canned, anything processed, um, any of those things tend to have a high sodium um, uh, intake. Again, potential complications for hyponatremia, seizures, and coma. Okay, now for potassium, your normal levels are 3.5 to 5. Um, anything less than 3.5 is hypokalemia. Anything more than 5 is hyperkalemia. However, we're looking at, um, because potassium has such an important um, component in cardiac function, um, life-threatening critical low level would be anything less than 2.5, and life-threatening critical would be anything more than 7. Okay, so for hypokalemia, so low potassium causes may include um, drugs such as overuse in laxatives, um, overuse of diuretics because furosemide has causes um, potassium to be lost, um, corticosteroids, there may be an inadequate intake such as in patients with anorexia, too much water intake or prolonged use of non-electrolyte containing IV fluids. It could also be caused due to Cushing syndromes or any time that there's a heavy fluid loss, such as nausea, diarrhea, induced suctioning, vomiting, um, wound drainage, excessive sweating. Other causes may be metabolic alkalosis um, after the correction of the acidosis or during times where there's um, extensive tissue repairs, such as post-burns, trauma, um, starvation, or with the use of TPN, which is total parental nutrition. Signs and symptoms, patients may have a weak pulse, it may be irregular, there may be some orthostatic hypotension, decreased bowel sounds, decreased tendon reflexes, patients may be confused, weak, there may be some shallow respirations or depressed breath sounds, decreased urine output, and patients may also complain of cramping. Um, okay, so in an EKG um, with hypokalemia, we're going to see these, everything's going to be low and slow, okay? There's going to be depressed ST, um, there's going to be an inverted T wave, and there's going to be a prominent U wave, and that's going to be something that you're only going to see in hypokalemia, that prominent U wave, okay? There may, um, patients may also have some premature ventricular contractions um, during the time that they're hypokalemic. So as far as nursing care, we're going to be watching that EKG. We're going to be looking for any changes that may be occurring that would tell us that the body is not able to compensate. We're going to be um, evaluating respiratory status, making sure that the patient has urinary output. Labs that we're running, um, we would be uh, noting that the magnesium levels will also be low in addition to the uh, potassium being low. We're going to be checking renal function with B1 and creatinine. Anything less than 2.5 of potassium, we're going to be supplementing um, IV. Um, it has to go very, very slowly. It's extremely um, vasoirritant. The max rate would be 10 milliequivalents per liter. It is a high-risk medication, so it needs to be checked by two nurses prior to administration. Now, if we are giving it, um, there's a mild deficit and the patient is tolerating um, things by mouth, um, there may need an oral replacement of potassium. Um, it should be given with food um, because um, it causes GI upset, okay? Um, and if it's not in the form of a supplement, then there's diets, um, food in the diet that needs to be increased that has 
increase levels of potassium. If the patient's on diuretics, we're going to be consulting the provider holding the diuretics. There may be a need to switch to potassium sparing diuretics if the patient is constantly having um, a hypokalemic state. Okay. If the patient's on digoxin for their heart, we also need to monitor the digoxin levels because the low potassium can cause digoxin toxicity. Examples of food that have high potassium in them include winter squash, um, cooked spinach, tomatoes, bananas, avocados, bok choy, um, salmon, broccoli, sweet potatoes, coconut water, or watermelons. Now with hyperkalemia, so increased potassium, um, increased potassium may occur due to IV administration, the use of salt substitutes, or sometimes during blood transfusions, um, during periods where the patient has insufficient insulin, such as in DKA, there's going to be a potassium um, that needs to be supplemented, so we end up we may end up with hyperkalemia. Sepsis, trauma, surgeries, fever, MIs can all increase your potassium levels, um, as well as uncontrolled diabetes, kidney failure, severe dehydration, adrenal insufficiency. And again, if you're using potassium-sparing diuretics or ACE inhibitors, you're more likely to have um, an increased potassium levels. In older adults, the greater um, risk is due to the fact that their kidneys are no longer functioning as they used to. And then there's, um, a, they may have coexisting medical conditions um, that would have them, um, you know, taking ACE inhibitors or having to use salt substitutes, etc. So for hyperkalemia, we're looking at muscle twitches, cramps, paresthesia. A patient may be irritable and anxious. Um, there'll be a decrease in blood pressure. We're going to notice some changes in the EKG. Um, they'll have a tall T wave, flat P wave, a wide QRS, a prolonged PR. Um, there may be some abdominal cramping or diarrhea. Okay, The patient may also have a decreased either low or absent urine production. Again, we need to monitor that closely. Um, we don't want the patient to be in oliguria. Um, it may cause respiratory failure and there's because of the um, excess potassium, there may be a decreased cardiac contractility. So the pulse may be weak, um, the blood pressure may be low, um, and the patient may be losing fluids um, via the diarrhea. So for nursing interventions of hyperkalemia, we're going to report again to the provider. We're going to decrease anything excess potassium that the patient may be taking, whether it's in supplementations, infusions, their diet, etc., um, in severe cases, a patient may require dialysis to be done in order to um, clean out um, or clear out that excess potassium. We're going to um, encourage a shift of potassium from extracellular to intracellular. So by giving the D5 um, fluids, it's going to cause that potassium to shift into the cell. Um, EKG monitoring is needed to check for any EKG abnormalities that may be developing. Certain medications such as kyxylate um, lowers potassium, certain enemas, Lasix, and other potassium-wasting diuretics. Okay, for now we're going to look at hypercalcemia. We're looking at calcium imbalances. So your normal calcium levels is 9 to 10.5. Normally, calcium is found in the body cells, bones, teeth, 
um, the role in metabolic processes, blood clotting, transmission uh, of nerve impulses, myocardial contractions, and muscle contractions. The major source of calcium comes from a dietary intake, and the body does require vitamin D in order to absorb that calcium. Um, it's also regulated by the parathyroids, those four little glands that sit above your thyroid, and their release of calcitonin levels. The normal body um, keeps calcium reserves readily available in bones, which is why it's important um, for patients at risk for osteoporosis to do weight-bearing exercises in order to help keep that um, reserve there. Now, for causes for hypercalcemia, um, if you have your hyperparathyroidism, um, certain cancers, the use of thyroid thiazide diuretics, prolonged immobilization because it's causing the calcium to be released into the cyst, into the bloodstream, increased calcium intake, whether it's dairy or certain calcium-containing antacids, vitamin A or vitamin D overdose, adrenal insufficiency, and thyrotoxicosis. So signs and symptoms, increased calcium um, access, sedative to the muscles and the nerves. So the patients may have weakness, lethargy, fatigue, confusion, um, and if not treated, may end up with hallucinations, seizures, and coma. There's going to be decreased um, reflexes. Patients may complain of bone pain. There may be fractures. Um, there may be some renal stones that form. Um, and EKGs, um, cardiac function, patients may have heart blocks um, or certain dyspythmia such as ventricular tachycardia. You may see a shortened ST or QT wave. There's an increased risk for blood clots. Patients may complain of anorexia, vomiting, nausea, constipation, and they may have increased blood pressure. Now, complications of hypercalcemia would be dysrhythmias, um, and as far as our interventions, we're going to treat the underlying cause if it's due to an increased dietary or a supplement um, intake, we're going to limit those. We're going to increase weight bearing activity for the patient. That way that calcium binds into their bones and not stays in circulation. We're going to promote adequate hydration three to four liters a day in order to promote the kidneys to excrete whatever it doesn't need and help prevent any renal calculi from forming. We're going to be promoting fiber to prevent constipation since um, hypercalcemia can cause constipation in a patient. Um, and we're going to ask, uh, assess for any possibility of pathological or stress fractures. Monitor blood clots and teach um, signs and symptoms of DVTs. In severe cases where the patient is not responding, um, they may need IV isotonic saline or um, IV bisphosphonate um, options and calcitonin. In extreme cases where the body is just unable to respond, they may need dialysis in order to help clear out this excess calcium. Now for hypocalcemia, so low calcium, main causes are primary hypoparathyroidism, um, renal insufficiency, anytime there's any malabsorption, whether it's with pancreatitis or Crohn's or celiac disease, um, chronic diarrhea, it's going to decrease the ability for the body to absorb that calcium from diet. Um, if there is also a vitamin D deficiency, um, it's also going to increase the risk of hypocalcemia. 
The use of magnesium supplements, bisphosphonates, or loop diuretics would also cause um, hypocalcemia. So your signs and symptoms include cramps, so there may be some confusion, some reflux, hyperactivity, um, arrhythmias, whether it's prolonged QT or ST, um, you may have ventricular tachycardia, patients may complain of muscle spasms in their calves or feet, um, there's going to be like a tetany or a seizure, and patients may have positive trousseau or Vostrex signs, they may complain of numbness or tingling in extremities around the mouth. Um, they may have some strider or laryngeal or bronchial spasms, so we need to make sure we're monitoring their airway. Um, decreased blood pressure, weak, thready pulse, tachycardia, or bradycardia. Now for checking for hypocalcemia, Vostex sign, you're going to tap on the facial nerve, and it's going to trigger a facial twitch. Now with trousseaux, you're going to put a blood pressure cuff, you're going to... Um, inflate it and the hand is going to twitch um um up it is painful and it is a sign of hypocalcemia interventions again treat underlying cause if there's a mild or asymptomatic case we may increase that dietary calcium with vitamin d supplementations in order to help bind that calcium if the patient is um symptomatic, they may require IV calcium gluconate. We may also increase, help increase that CO2 retention by having the patient breathing into a paper bag in order to help control the spasms and tetany. If it's due to diuretics, patients may, um, may have to be switched from loop diuretics to thiazide diuretics in order to help increase that bone density. Whenever a patient has had either um, some sort of neck or thyroid surgery, we need to monitor for signs and symptoms of hypocalcemia post-op due to the fact that whether it's a partial or complete thyroidectomy, there could be some damage that has occurred to those parathyroid glands. We're going to be monitoring for laryngeal spasms and airway um, complications. Calcium-rich foods, here you have examples of foods that um, patient may need to increase. Um, you have soy milk, bok choy, fortified orange juice, kale, collards, tofu, edamame, sesame seeds, almonds, fortified breakfast cereals, rice, broccoli, um, etc. Now for magnesium imbalances, your normal range is 1.3 to 2.1. The key role is essential in cellular process. Um, it is a cofactor in enzyme systems such as for carbohydrate metabolism, CNS and protein synthesis, blood glucose control, and BP regulation. Um, it aids in muscle contraction and relaxation, neurological function, and neurotransmitter release. It produces and uses ATP, which is energy source for the sodium-potassium pump. It's mainly stored in muscle and bone, but regulated by kidneys and your GI tract. Causes for hypomagnesemia, so low magnesium, include GI losses such as diarrhea and G-suctions, alcohol, um, chronic alcohol use, malabsorption syndromes, prolonged malnutrition, acute pancreatitis, increased urine output, hyperglycemia, or PPI therapy. Patients may come in with um, similar signs and symptoms as hypocalcemia, such as confusion, muscle cramping, tremors, seizures, vertigo, 
hyperactive, deep tendon refluxes, Vostek and Trousseau signs, increased pulse, increased blood pressure, and dysrhythmias. So as far as nursing interventions, we're going to treat and treat and identify the underlying cause. With mild cases, oral supplementations may be um, enough or certain dietary intake. However, make sure that you do educate patients um, that the majority of magnesium supplements cause diarrhea. Okay. Um, in severe cases or with hypocalcemia, we may have to give IV magnesium or mag sulfate, which we're going to infuse slowly because too fast it can cause hypotension, cardiac arrest, or respiratory arrest. We're going to monitor vital signs and take seizure precautions. Examples of magnesium-rich foods include almonds, pumpkin seeds, quinoa, oatmeal, tofu, spinach, dark chocolate, bananas, and avocados. Now for hypermagnesemia, so excess um, calcium, um, excess magnesium, um, it may be due to chronic kidney or acute kidney injuries, hypothyroidism, adrenal insufficiency, antacids or laxatives, which may contain magnesium. Um, when we're giving IV magnesium, for instance, with eclampsia um, or certain metastatic bone diseases. Now, for signs and symptoms include lethargy, drowsiness, muscle weakness, Urinary retention, nausea, vomiting, diminished deep tendon reflexes, which if untreated can lead to muscle paralysis and coma, flushed, warm skin, usually around the face, decreased pulse and blood pressure, prolonged PR, and widened QRS. As far as nursing interventions with mild cases, we're just going to avoid any magnesium-containing drugs and limit the intake of magnesium-rich foods, increased fluids um, if renal function is normal, loop diuretics, frequent assessments of vital signs, level of consciousness, and reflexes. If reflexes start to be diminished or absent, that does require for you to notify it immediately to the provider. Monitor respiratory and cardiac status. In severe cases, IV calcium gluconate may have to be given um, in order to help um, correct the problem. And in extreme cases, the patient may require dialysis.